Hello and welcome to another episode of Pilots and Money. Many of you may not yet know, but the great Jan Thompson has moved on to fresh pastures and so is no longer going to be co-hosting this podcast. I have with me today as a, a guest host, Alessia. Hi guys. And we uh, the subject of our discussion today is going to be um, general macroeconomics, so we have our our guru with us. Hello everyone. And she's going to take us through some of the the recent developments in in uh, macro both globally and around uh, it, around our region. So there's been quite a lot of data recently that we wanted to go through but before we get to the data I think the obvious thing to ask is um, what's your t- take on the recent Fed rate decision? Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, I have to say, I read it rather neutral to mildly dovish. Dovish in the sense that the Fed has acknowledged that inflation has surprised them on the downside. Uh, Perhaps not dovish enough, but it was going to be practically impossible for them to signal a rate cut uh, immediately. In any case, inflation is going to slow further in our view, will hit a bottom in July. And although it will pick up thereafter, it will remain actually very muted and not much above 2%, uh, except for a few a few months. So the case for rate cut is very much alive and well. What do we think about uh, the fact that the tweeter-in-chief has a tendency to have a slightly different view on, on Fed decisions than what most professional economists would? Do you think there's, there's risks there to the independence of the Federal Reserve? Well... I am maybe an unorthodox economist. I think uh, central bank is operationally independent. Uh, if the leader uh, wants to make this independence particularly strong, it has all of the tools to do that. Mm-hmm. So no matter how many tweets the big man will make, he can uh, continue to go against the wind without any problems. Uh, that has. I mean, said that, I actually agree with the president because the Fed has overdone it. Um, and if they didn't, they wouldn't have U-turned so much in the last few months. And if they want to keep the economy steady at around 3%, which in their view is close to potential, then they would need to cut 50 basis point. Um, there is also the kind of reverse issue that if they're seen to be under pressure, they might actually be more um, hard line. Yes, I mean, but history shows that that usually happens only for a limited period of time. So you may turn hawkish for a few months, maybe even six months, but if ultimately the data confirms that it would make sense to have a dovish bias, then, uh, then eventually all central banks cave to reality. Yes. To some extent, my perception is that central banks tend to move a bit like elephants. So when they start uh, becoming a bit more hawkish, then it takes a bit of time for them to be dovish again. They rarely change, uh, let's say, do a U-turn and change completely their view. Do you agree with this? Mm, I think it depends on the style. Clearly, a big central bank tends to be slower than the smaller ones. But if if you have followed the Polish central bank rhetoric, you would find that they move uh, really suddenly in all sorts of directions. 
so it depends on size. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've been uh, relatively opt- optimistic recently. Could you remind us of our overall macroeconomic view? Sure, let's definitely recap. So in the last two months, the data showed that the household sector had turned more optimistic, less concerned about future unemployment and future inflation, so that is definitely positive. And on top of that, of course, we have hit a critical mass of de facto monetary stimulus to reignite a whole, well, an extension of the current business cycle, which we think it could easily be three years, maybe even more. So generally, we are now in a favorable phase for the economy and the uh, financial markets. Yeah, if we look at the, um, some of the data coming out for April, it's a bit more ambiguous. Um, I don't think there's any reason to crack open a case of Prosecco just yet. Yes, no, you're right. I mean, I may be a bit too forward-looking. But beware that in April we had the peak of the Brexit chaos. So that certainly did weigh we, on... <laughs> we hope we had the peak of the Brexit chaos. <laughs> we can't be too sure. Well, that's true. But uh, but in any case, everybody knew that the UK might have been uh, leaving uh, in April. So, so certainly the data is influenced by that. Plus, the monetary stimulus that I was mentioning before works with the lag. So it was going to be too soon to see it in April anyway. Okay. So, regarding uh, remaining on the Eurozone, do you think the TLTRO announcement uh, really had some impact on sentiment, or when will the this impact begin? Can I just butt in there a second? For the uninformed among us, like me, what does TLTRO mean? So, TLTRO means Targeted Long-Term Refinancing Operations, and it's the new sti- monetary stimulus that the ECB is currently pl- currently planning. It will uh, start in the second part of the year. As a magnitude, it's much smaller than QE, but it still has a significant size. Thank you. For the layman's, it's practically free money. Free, I, I'm always <laughs> in favour of free money. Does it come to me? No. Well, um. it depends how much leverage you want. Um, <laughs> but so the impact on the economy, no, it's not there. It's certainly already on the bonds, uh, because otherwise, why would Italian BTPs be trading that low? Um, but you should see the impact on consumer sentiment and business sentiment certainly by summertime. So it will be a happy summer. That 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 will be the time we. Pop open the prosecco. Absolutely. When we're sitting on a nice warm beach somewhere. Well, I won't be because I might not be allowed into Europe at that point. But yeah, yeah that shouldn't shouldn't bother you too. Um, we, I'm reading some of the, the economic news recently. I feel I'm in a parallel universe. We have Greece doing very well and decoupling from the eurozone in a, in a positive way, while the great Teutonic engine of manufacturing is struggling. Yes. Actually, can I disclose that there was censorship in my title on Greece because I was going to call it the strong man of the Eurozone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is good news. It's showing that indeed the structural changes in Greece are working and so the economy is steadily decoupling and the data in the last four to five months has broadly signaled growth steadily around 2%. uh, With, more importantly, the unemployment rate coming down and we think it will come down by another two percentage points every year in 2019 and 2020 
it is a complete outlier in the Eurozone and frankly in the EU as well on this front. Thank goodness for that. So it appears then that we have, uh, moving to the overall European Union, that there are both good news and bad news from Romania. Romania, I think it was a very interesting story in April because while the general trend in the business surveys released by the European Commission was generally lukewarm, aside from Greece, of course, uh, Romania was really strong, actually. So not only the economy has not decelerated this year, it may actually be accelerating. Um, And then because we don't yet know what will happen with the European Parliament elections that will be held on the 22nd to 26th of May, Um, It may be that even the outlook for 2020 will be significantly better than expected. And that raises once again the issue of monetary policy. You may end up with monetary tightening. Yeah, because it looks like potential overheating, doesn't it? Inflation. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And uh, so I hear not nearly enough workers. So if they carry on, if they carry on growing at this rate, I don't know where they're going to find any new workers from. Um, well, I think the Hungarians have already run out of workers, so mm-hmm. uh, that will be another another country in Central Europe. <laughs> yes, it's good good job they like immigrants so much, isn't it, in Hungary? Um, Moving further further east in the wood universe. The central bank of Russia last week signaled the possible rate cuts during the second or third quarter of this year. Do you think uh, this less tight monetary policy will benefit the Russian economy in the short term? Absolutely, and even better than the short term is the long term. I mean, this is the beginning of another massive leg um, structural reduction in interest rates in Russia, it completely changes, well, we think over time it will change the affordability of the housing market and creates the conditions for a more sustainable and higher growth rate in Russia going forward. And not only that, you should be aware that the big news, in my view, is not only that the central bank has finally come around to the idea of cutting, but also we have more evidence to suggest that the balance sheet consolidation that we saw in Russia that was underpinning lower inflation may be finally coming to an end. So our forecasts, which at the moment signal 2% GDP growth this year and next year, in my view may even be the low, a low ball, a low estimate. And it seems that, that growth in Russia doesn't only depend on com- commodities anymore. No, no. That's the magic. Yep. On to another country that's known for its high level of democracy. Um, So what do the latest numbers tell us about Turkey? So I'm an optimist, so I'm going to start with the good news. Okay. Um, The business surveys show an improvement on the industrial sector. I know you've all seen the PMIs today going down, but trust me when I tell you that the uh, data that comes out from the European Commission is better. It's a bigger sample and that it has less noise. So overall, there is improvement. There is an improvement in hiring appetite in most of the sectors with the construction sector being really the weak spot. So we take the constructive approach in saying that we should be close to a big turning point in the labor market. If the unemployment rate stabilizes around 14%, then definitely the economy is going to improve, although not as strongly as many think, but it will improve. 
if instead out of its own internal reason or external reason of a combination of both the labor market does not stabilize then i think you should begin to consider a double dip scenario mm-hmm. for 2019 and 2020 um so ov- the obvious question here is to ask about the price of onions um because Obviously. i i hear that <laughs> that people are worried about the price of basic uh, staples in turkey there seems to be um you know, there's obviously a lot of inflation. Where do we see inflation going? Well, we feel strongly that inflation is structurally coming down. But in the near term, the April data suggested that we may see another uptick. That could may well be related to food inflation. But generally, we agree that there is going to be a slow but steady disinflationary path this year and more clearly next year. So we actually side with the central bank and think it's time to begin to cut rates. So in your view, the completely independent central bank will completely independently cut rates over the next quarters? Again, I think uh, central banks are operationally independent and uh, at the end of the day, they have a mandate which is most importantly about financial stability than the strict inflation target, which, by the way, I don't think anybody really believes the target in Turkey. It's a symbolic goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we definitely think the central bank will cut. So far, they have proved relatively prudent. So although we expect 300 basis points cumulative in the remainder of the year in line with consensus, it may end up being a smaller size. But generally, we think, first of all, raising rates at this juncture will completely backfire. We think the fetish around the FX reserves and swaps agreement has gone a bit too far because the central bank simply cannot defend the currency. No central bank can defend sustainably a currency against the depreciation pressure. So the only thing that they can do is rather calmly but steadily guide the economy towards lower rates with a multi-year horizon. Mm -hmm. And the multi-year really is the most important part of this sentence. And I guess the current account deficit, the current account seems to have massively improved and that's obviously a big part of um, balancing the currency in the longer term. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's a big part, but it's no guarantee. But certainly we think that... As we approach six and a half to the dollar, I mean, we're, we're still quite a bit far away from there, but not that much in the grand scheme of things. Uh, that should be sufficient to take the current account in surplus by 2020. So that will alleviate a lot of the, pressure, the structural depreciation pressure that Turkey has seen. The other issue that does concern us more actually is that in our view the remuneration that you get if you're a regular household by savings in dollar deposits with Turkish bank is too high Mm -hmm. I mean compared with other countries in similar position it's just it's such an obvious trade and until confidence has come back then there is too much of an incentive to save into dollars so I think you should keep that in mind that that would need to yeah, it's correct. Of course, um, I'm old enough to remember when everyone in Turkey only saved in dollars. Uh, yes. So <laughs> there is there is a cultural um, 
bias towards saving in hard currency that, that has come back because of the recent um, travails of the currency. Um, let's move on from Turkey. Um, how about Poland? What do, do we see anything happening interesting in Poland at the moment? Um, well, interesting, yes, not particularly a bit. No. The data was rather weak for the April surveys, uh, which to us means everybody already expects Poland to grow around 4%, including us this year. It doesn't seem to us that there is a great deal of upside. Um, the fiscal package that they have announced in any case will not be as powerful as initially thought because there will be countermeasures and it seems that the electorate clearly sees through that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a jump in inflation in April, which you should take with a grain of salt because it was strongly driven by one-off factors which will fade away. So the case for rate hikes in Poland is still very, very slim, at least for 2019 and 2020. What about Hungary and Czech Republic? Steady outperforming in terms of... Um, Inflation. So we've seen the Czech Central Bank to hike again, and they may continue, frankly. The GDP numbers in uh, Czech Republic don't look that appealing, but the trade-off there is that the Central Bank is trying to avoid a bigger credit problem uh, down the line. So generally, we still see a, a very robust picture, and Hungary is the strongest in the region, perhaps bar Romania. Uh, but Hungary is beginning to see really strong inflationary signals. So we think that you can overlook the tone of the central bank in the near term. They will have to gradually raise rates between this year and next year. So for those people that, that basically want everything in a condensed form, how would you conclude your current thinking on, on all of these issues? We have moved to a more favorable phase. It's an extension of the business cycle with all of the good stuff that comes with it. And what it characterizes it this time is leverage, really. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are going to, be, to build bigger imbalances, more indebted businesses and more indebted households. And if you want to have a preview of where it really is going to get alarming, please have a look at our latest EMEA strategy piece where we handily have... Uh, table for you that will look at the next five years. Okay, that sounds good. So basically, drink more, bigger hangover later. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Rafaela. Thank, thank you. you, guys. Thank you, Alessio, for not leaving me all on my own after losing my, my buddy. And, um, my pleasure. We will uh, be back on air very soon. Thank you very much. <laughs>